It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello there all, Daniel Childs back here again. I hope you're doing really well. It is Thursday the 30th of November. This podcast, we're not doing let's talk chelsea we're not doing a tactical breakdown it is the next episode in my interview series dear chelsea where i bring on fascinating people with connections to chelsea people within the media so far in the series we've spoken to the brilliant gary hayes and olivia bazaglo today we've got another brilliant guest Maya quadri he is the head of brand at versus he's a host on the fcm pod which is a part of dr sports and as well appears regularly on Wrighty's house. Someone who's heavily involved in football media. I'm sure if you're a Chelsea fan who's been around Stamford Bridge, you've probably seen Maya's face because he was heavily involved in the Chelsea kit launch for 23-24. So that is actually the first thing we speak about in terms of kit launches, how cool that was for him to be a part of. Then we get into Maya's kind of love for Chelsea, where it began, his family connections to the club. And then beyond that, we do touch on Mauricio Pochettino, Todd Bowley, all of that stuff. Some interesting points that Maya will make that I definitely think you want to hear regarding the future of the club and the current troubles that we're finding on the pitch this season. And then also we end with his favourite Chelsea memory. Make sure if you're listening to this podcast for the first time, please do give us a positive rate and review. Really does help the show out. Great to see people listening. And as well, you can go over to YouTube, Son of Chelsea, and check out all of the content on there as well. But let's get into the conversation right now with Maya Wakodri. Okay, thank you so much, Maya, for joining me. I, I I have to start with this, your involvement in the Chelsea kit launch, which, I mean, I have to say, I'm, I'm quite critical on the kit designs of Chelsea. So I was actually pleased how, how well this one came out. But to be involved in that whole campaign, I mean, it must be like a almost like a childhood dream coming true. No, thanks for having me on, man. Big fan of what you're doing and big up you from how you've grown the platform. And yeah, no, um, being involved was, yeah, it's just something you never think you're going to be involved in your kits, your team's kit launch. Um, It's quite bizarre as well, because I guess growing up, you see kits come out, you see the whole allure of it. 
So it's them be involved in the backdrop of it and sort of see what happens behind the scenes, especially, you know, given the context of where we are as a football club and the whole no sponsor stuff as well. It was very, very, very interesting. Um, but yeah, no, the home kit is an amazing kit. Um, the day was great. There was um, former legends um, at the time, former players that you probably didn't know were not going to leave. And of course, when the kits come out, they're no longer in the images. You're like, whoops. Um, and yeah, I mean, as much as I do love this kit, I do have to say the whole narrative and story, I think is a bit of a false push, if I'm being totally honest. So the story behind it is it is based off the infamous auto glass kit, the Umbro one. And for me, I was like, just because you put a little bit of gold on the on the sleeve doesn't mean it's based off of it. But I mean, it's a beautiful kit, one of our best ones for a long time. The Eredescent badge, of course, as well. I mean, it was just really good, and I guess it sort of showcases where Chelsea are as a club, right? That um, essentially to have creators and you know music artists as part of this sort of launch of a kit showcase how much they value the fans. So yeah, no, it was um, it's a real experience. I know a mutual friend and, and someone I've, I've worked with extensively, Anita Abiomi, was also a part of the, I think, the the first kit. And she may have been involved in all three. I know she was involved in the, the third choice kit yeah, as well. Yeah, she did Elton Blue and she did a home kit. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that was, uh, it was cool being able to speak to her at the time about that experience and kind of see how it all went down. Because, you know, I... You know, I'm a big believer that I do think, although it can seem a little bit cynical, I do think nostalgia and, you know, very much harking back to history does mean something. And it, and I felt that it, it clearly on this case, the amount of fans who I know don't aren't really that interested in the kits as much as they used to be, were actually open to this kit this time to see that it did have that impact in the end. Yeah, no, exactly. I think ultimately, like, I, I am being very cynical saying that, you know, the reference isn't the, the most clear reference, but it's nice that they are pulling from history, pulling from such a significant moment. I mean, even having Di Matteo and Dennis Wise in the assets is a really nice thing. The Etten Blue kit I really like. Again, it's a piece of heritage that a lot of Chelsea fans may not know about that. That was a traditional colour at one point. Um, and I love bits of history like that. I think history is the foundation of what your club is, right? So um, I constantly have conversations with people which are a bit sceptical about how I wish we'd bring a little bit of the red back. I know obviously people hear red and they're like, oh my gosh, we're blue, we're blue, we can't bring red. But for me, seeing those little red highlights in Chelsea kits, like in history, always stood out for me. I know we had a really decent attempt a few years back where it, it looks a bit more fuchsia pink and it wasn't really received well because it was fuchsia pink slash red, hot red with the blue. But I do think that maybe next season or season to come, if they try and do like a, be a bit bolder for red, uh, I think it could really do something. But you're right, it's nice to sort of tie into history, um, give fans an opportunity to learn about a different part of the club that's not so, you know, out there as it were. Um, and yeah, I mean, kits mean so much to people, man. Kits are uniform, they bring people together. So ultimately, if we're going to have everyone in one identity, we might as well have it based on saying that means a lot to people. Yeah, my my dad growing up and and still he's he's like this now. He is like militant with red. He's like no red, like even stuff that's not related to Chelsea. Like I'm, I'm a Deadpool fan. I got a Deadpool Christmas jumper, and he was all like he was still a little bit 
you know, uh, not, what's, what's this? Yeah, yeah, he's like, this is not, you know, it's not allowed in my house, basically. Like, even, even like any time growing up, we'd go into like Sports Direct or something, and he was like, you yeah. cannot touch a Liverpool shirt, you cannot touch an Arsenal shirt. So, I, like I said, I, I think that the, with the, I, I, my favorite kit is the 0405 one, but that's very much because that's my childhood. So I guess it comes yeah. down to where you, I mean, what would, what's kind of the kit that really stands out in your head as like your fave? 0405 stands out, definitely. Um, there is one in particular, the black Samsung kit. That will always stand out to me. That will always stand the test of time. FA Cup winning kit, the yellow. Love the yellow can't go wrong with that yellow kit just so bright um i have a few to be fair like chelsea notoriously have done really really well with kits um less so kit based but um our first season with what well, our season with yokohama tires i really liked that as a, as a sponsor it looks clean so i loved that kit as well um so yeah i've got a few to be fair but a four or five is definitely up there you can't can't go wrong with that yeah, it's just, I think it's the simplicity of that kit that makes it yes. so good. And it was still at that time when kits were being worn over several seasons. So yeah. there was more like longevity with them. But uh, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's. I just, I, you know, I, I know some people really rubbish the kits. Uh, me and a, like a friend of mine, Jay McIntosh, we kind of get annoyed sometimes with the kits of kind of how either template-ish they feel or kind of they maybe don't really represent a history of a club so i think they are very important i don't think they're something to just throw away of your love for chelsea the guests i've had before kind of it's it's where did it begin like where did that that love affair with this club begin it's a great question um i did a tnt feature the other day about this um so i was actually born at chelsea westminster hospital so i grew up in south london but i was born in west london and um i sort of inherited chelsea i mean i was born in the area my mom supported chelsea so growing up, my view of Chelsea was from her. And my earliest memories were seeing like Hasselbank, you know, Zola, and just looking and thinking, oh my word, like this is it. This is this is everything. So that's where my love of Chelsea came from. Um, especially watching that Hasselbank, like just seeing this guy like just thump the ball from anywhere. Um and then growing up and then like, you know, you're looking, you're learning a bit more about football. You're like, tour Andre Flo, like, who's this guy? Who's this tall, amazing guy? And then at the same time, you kind of got like these young guns coming off of Mark, um, Mikel Fussell and um, Carlton Cole. You're like, oh my gosh, okay, like I'm, I'm getting used to it now. That was where my love for Chelsea came and it just stuck since like Autoglass era was my foundation into to Chelsea really. I guess that's an interesting one because it's kind of, of like uh, my brother's generation just be before... I came in in terms of my age supporting Chelsea and kind of it was that period when the club was starting to get back to some success and like the the as well the characters of that gen like that generation of Chelsea player was was so lovable and so memorable as well I mean in terms of getting to see the games you say you know the influence of your mum over your your love of Chelsea is it is that something to you that because I think we all have these as fans where we'll maybe in difficult times, which Chelsea have had in 2023, you go back to those kind of fantasy memories. Is is that, are there specific times during that period when you fell in love with Chelsea, like moments or you just spoke about some of the players, maybe wins that you you still go back to today and think that that was incredible? There's one goal in particular I always speak about. It's probably my favourite Chelsea goal. It's the Gianfranco Zola back heel from the corner. 
but it comes it pings across the um from the corner backs hill beautiful goal it's like so instinctive and I remember it so clearly because at the time I was definitely grounded and I remember that my mum said you can't watch any tv or whatnot you can't see this and I remember somehow managed to watch it and I remember my mum coming back or whatever and I was like to my mum oh mum I think Chelsea have won she was like, what do you mean you think Chelsea won? How would you know? And I kind of gave it away that I somehow watched. But that goal for me just summed up who Joe Franco Zola was. Like, he was just this magician. And that was very, very early on. So that's a moment that I always speak about that just kind of filled me with something. Because like, that's how much I love the club. That I was willing to sort of bend through corners to try and make sure that I could watch and sort of know what was going on. Um, so, yeah, that is definitely the moment that definitely definitely sticks out and ultimately I was very young at the time as you get older I feel like and actually all fans sort of retrospectively go back and sort of solidify their knowledge so getting older for me was realizing that a lot of people have spoke about to what you're saying now Chelsea you know we only became successful in the you know the sort of post-Roman era and then you think about it just before that era I mean we'll beat an Arsenal in, in Champions League Wayne Bridge was scoring really important goals. And like, I guess in those moments when you're living it because you're so young, you don't realise the gravity of it. But when you go back, you're like, that was a massive, massive, massive moment. So yeah, there's a few moments like that that I'm like, well, this was like, this was it. I was, maybe I didn't understand the gravity, but I saw it. I remember it in the back of my mind. Um, so yeah. In terms of how that love of Chelsea then, would, would you say that love, because it's not just about the club you fall in love with, I think it's just a love of football, right? And how did that sort of influence then your career to, to get into football media and all of the stuff you do now? That, of course, it's not just Chelsea-based. It's it's to do with community. It's to do with clubs. It's to do with discussing things with fans of other clubs. I mean, how did that love of Chelsea then very much uh, spiral out into a, a massive passion around football and, and media? It's a great question. Cause, I mean, like... Mentioned, I grew up in South London, um, so I grew up right next to the Den Mayor Um, I supported Chelsea, and naturally, growing up, a lot of conversation that people will have with you, especially if you're sort of somewhat affiliated with either of those clubs, is yeah, well, those clubs have you know a wretched past of this and that. And when you're young, it's a very interesting thing to have to sort of battle because ultimately, you love the club, you love the club, and you're aware that stuff has not been right, but. I was like, well, how do we further the conversation? It's because you're saying this, but at the same time, I've heard about the story of Paul Canavo and how amazing he is. I literally watch Chelsea and I'm seeing African players that sound like my uncles, that speak like my uncles on the pitch. I'm seeing your Macaladies, your Jeremy's, your Drogba's, your Essien's, your Kalu's, all of these people. I'm seeing it. I'm like, well, look, they're at home here. They're authentically themselves. One of my favourite Chelsea videos ever is the video where they are essentially with Asana Diara, I think it is, and they're asking to speak English. And he's all he's being very shy. And it's like, this is just sort of like a combination of African culture in a football club that people keep saying that is got a wretched past. So for me, I guess sort of the love of having conversations around things maybe subconsciously started from that. Because I was like, well, how do we change the narrative if on the pitch I'm seeing that there's a lot of great stuff happening? And I feel like in many ways, thinking back now, seeing that Chelsea squad, even going back, seeing like Frank Reichard and, and the touchdown for Chelsea or seeing when we had Italian Revolution up with players at Chelsea, um, something I knew very, very soon was that 
especially with the, the sort of African contingent we had, there were so many players on the football pitch that were from backgrounds or lived experiences that I related to. However, it felt like they fully wasn't given their platform to speak about it because the media landscape was very different. So growing up, I just always spoke about football because it was in my lived experience. And then you get older and you realise, well, I wonder what it would be like to have a conversation with these guys where they can actually just be themselves. And now it's, you know, I'm very fortunate that I'm in a space where I can kind of sort of see the impact that has. But I think that's probably where it started from because, again, I saw Chelsea and I saw all of these players and I was like, yeah, this is what life is. Like, black people play football at the highest level, but there's not a lot of people speak to them in the media space. So, so yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's something that I think a lot of... My interest in football media, especially now, is is trying to create something authentic and... Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Especially... When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply when speaking to people within the game there is still it feels like at times that guard is up you know and that that fear of saying the wrong thing doing the wrong thing you know being taken out of context I think being able to have those honest conversations is important because you know as you said growing up you know you've got to think about a younger generation now who maybe are feeling distanced from the game um it's the game you see is getting more and more commercialized for for different reasons and and i think it absolutely is true in terms of chelsea when you you speak about that era of of incredible players um you know the impact that say michael essien and didier drogba the more i read about them not just related to what they did at chelsea but the the global impact they had on their communities and political impact too i mean it's just it's it's incredible so i think it's so important that in this age where the the football can feel at times quite shallow in its presentation, we do have those sort of deeper stories. So I think that's something that you're doing and, and others are doing within the space. And and I think the good thing is that the the media landscape is so broad now that you can have those conversations where maybe a decade, 20 years ago, that just wasn't the case. A hundred percent. And I think also what's really happened is there's been like a democratisation of sports media. Previously, we were in a place where the papers had all say what happened. That then grew with social media and then the presence of footballers realising that they are essentially the biggest activists in the world because they galvanise so much support. Then enabled them to see like, well, we have our own platforms, we can tell our own stories, right? It's the reason why Marcus Rashford can fight the UK government. It's the reason why Bukayo Saka can speak to all the courses he wants to do. It's the reason why the England Lionesses can do the amazing stuff that they do because there's been this democratisation of, of media. And I think what's super important is 
football is a common language. Um, we're talking today because we have a love of Chelsea, right? But we could speak to anyone in the world because they have a love of football. And people say it's the people's game because it's such an easy, accessible game to play. And think if you think of some of the names that we mentioned, these are players that came from different parts of the world and sort of, you know, them playing football was escapism, but it was also a passageway to change their families' destinies and whatnot. So naturally, everyone has a story to tell through football and through their journey. And I feel that we're in a place now where that can be done so much more because there's control around those stories. So like you mentioned, the political um, with Drogba, like the work he's done in Ivory Coast by utilising football is amazing. Michael Essien, similar thing of, you know, helping players get into academies to make sure that it's not just him. Um, Chelsea have always had a heritage of that. Paul Carnival was someone till today is still utilising his platform to be like, well, I want to make sure that because I went through something, that's great. No one else has to ever go through it again and how do you move forward? Um, even if we look at our women's team, Sam Kerr just opened up a, a, an academy back home in Australia and it's like to make sure that young girls can play the game and go on to be elite players. So, um, yeah, I think it's super important that there is that. And the reason why I love speaking about it is because for so long, I mean, you'd speak to a footballer and you'd ask something like, how was the game? And they give you the same answer, you know, oh, it was good, we won, or oh, we could have been better, oh, we try again next week. But the second you humanise that person, you just fill this other layer. And that's what's relatable to people. Don't get me wrong. We we love Reese James because, you know, he's from Cobham and he's our captain and he plays for us. But people also love him because he's a young 20-something-year-old as well who's into fashion, who's just trying to figure out life at the same time as well. Um, so, yeah, that's the beauty in, in what I get to do. And I'm very thankful that I do get to sort of explore that and make people realise that, yeah, forget about the payments they receive and sort of what is deemed a high life. A lot of us are probably very similar to these individuals <laughs> at a very base level, more than we believe. Yeah, it was it was interesting speaking with uh, Olivia Bazaglo and I was asking her about, you know, working within football media and being able to interview the players. And of course, she interviews, like yourself, a wide variety of players and you know, breaking down those barriers that these aren't just like superstars, like gods that, you know, you, you can't have a normal conversation with. And and I think that's very important, especially with social media, as much as social media, as, as I'm sure you know, gives you access or gives you a sense of, of social media in a different way to say the old press has kind of made footballers into 2D objects in a different way, if that makes sense. So being able to humanise them is, is absolutely massive. Um, I guess just what, one last thing on this point in terms of Chelsea and that genuine sense of, of I guess, content or, or the way they can speak to fans, is there something that you think the, the club could be doing better on that aspect? Because, of course, I know working with the club and seeing how they've developed in that aspect, is, is there more things you think the club should be doing? I think to give Chelsea credit, there's so much that they are doing and are pushing and trying to revolutionise and go forward that they don't get a lot of credit for. So um, I've been involved in a project called the Blue Creator Fund where Versus, who I work for, and Chelsea have essentially made a fund that has given two creatives from underrepresented backgrounds within the creative space um, a bursary to create something about Chelsea in the community. And essentially what that bursary has allowed two individuals to do is create a piece of work that they can go and be like, I've now done it. People usually ask, what experience do you have? They can say, I've done it. 
And I've ne- they've not only just done it, they've done it about Chelsea in the community, about a club that they love, but they've also done it with the help of the community and uplifted people. So as a 360 solution, it's been really unique. Um, I think globally, um, our ambassadorial program, you see loads of the former players going to different places, you know, to touch the soil and just to connect to people. It's great. I think from a local standpoint, there's a lot that happens on social because, as you mentioned, it is very difficult to go to a game. Very, very difficult. But other touch points are being created that you can still interact with the club, which is amazing. I mean, the Open Iftar, an amazing thing, that initiative that the club did, you know, getting people to sort of, you know, during Ramadan, be able to break their fast and eat together, commute to this community. I think the club's doing a lot of great stuff. I think the challenge is always going to be how do you ensure that people who interact with football at different touch points can still interact with the club because at the end of the day, as we keep saying, it is very difficult to go to a game. Like, just based on numbers, there's a gazillion million fans. There's only set amount of thousand seats in the stadium. So how can you make sure that people feel involved? And I think that comes through social, man. I think it comes from utilising players. I think it comes from utilising platforms such as this, you know, just making sure that even if it's not directly through the club, the spirit of the club can sort of ooze out into different channels and people still feel connected to something. In terms of uh, current matters, I mean, it's not that amazing to be speaking after the uh, the, the Newcastle. We're, we're moving on to something less positive, which is in 2023 is usually Chelsea actually on the pitch. Um I mean, it's when we, I think, organised this this podcast. I think it was probably after the Man United, uh, Man City game. Sorry, so there was after a lot Man more. City. Yeah, so it was it was a lot more positive. Uh, but then, of course, Newcastle happened. It's I, what are kind of your feelings and emotions about the direction the club is heading in? Because it's it's very social media. Obviously, always goes for the extremes, but it. Uh, it was very easy pre-Newcastle to feel optimistic about the direction, even if things haven't been perfect. But then post, we've kind of gone back to the world's ending. Everything's wrong. I mean, where where do you sit and stand based on what you've seen so far this season? This is a great question. I feel like the conversation we've had is almost like the perfect segue into it because ultimately... We've both seen Chelsea win Champions Leagues. We've both seen Chelsea, you know, soar into the sunset and do amazing things. And I think because of how our club was run for a long time, we had this sort of sustainable, unsustainable success where it was like, at all costs, we're always going to win. And if we drop off, we bounce back straight back up. It's something that typically had not been seen in football before where it wasn't cyclical. The cyclical was kind of like within the space of two seasons. You drop off one season and be straight back up there. Um, And what I tend to tell people is, with where Chelsea are at the moment, it's a very different Chelsea to what a lot of people have been used to for a long time. And the reason why it's so hard to accept is because your perception is always going to be your perception. I mean, I, I watched Jose Mourinho not lose a game at Stamford Bridge. I watched us win Champions League. I watched us have a team that could essentially run itself without a manager. We're in a very, very, very different place now. And of course, you know, proper Chelsea, the spirit of Chelsea, you always want to keep that in your mind. But it would be naive to think that that sort of lasts forever if the same thing is not in process. So post-Roman and into the Bowley era, it's something I've always had in the back of my mind that we are not the Chelsea that we used to be. And that's okay. You have to build to try and get back to that place. I think what's so hard is when you partner that thought with the the thought of spending so much money, 
people have a perception, well, one plus one has to equal two. Surely with this spend, we'll be back. And I think we're getting constant reminders that, no, that's not how it works anymore, not for us anyway, because it's a different model. Um, and, like, you just need to look at results this season. I mean, the Arsenal draw, Liverpool, City, Spurs, the teams that we should beat or not beat in, that is typically something that you'd expect of a top six, seven side, where it's like you can get that little result against the team there, but what you're going to be judged on is how you perform week in, week out into your base level. And those other big results are like your, that's additional benefit. That's great. You can bank, put those in the bank. But your day-to-day rivals of the teams in and around you is where you're going to be judged. And that's just where Chelsea are. We're not a top four side at the moment. I mean, where did we finish last season? 10th. We finished 10th. That means there were a lot of teams better than us. We have removed a lot of experience from that squad. I mean, the midfield alone, you've lost a World Cup winner, a Euros winner and a Serious Champions League winner. You have a lot of young players coming in. These things are not fixed overnight. And I think ultimately it's a battle of wanting to believe that things can change quickly because it's Chelsea, but also having to get to a place where you accept that things won't change that quickly and you have to be patient. And um, that helps me sleep a lot better. And, uh, <laughs> obviously, it's, it's very frustrating, but this is going to take a long time. And, you know, when Bowley came in, I remember I remember when he did a conference speaking about there should be a North versus South game and everyone was shaken up about it because he was trying to change what football's always been. Even this approach that we're doing, it's not the typical approach to, to what football is. So there's a lot of eyes wanting this to fail. Because it's like, well, you're trying to change something that's always been this way. And in my head, that gives me a chip on the shoulder that we're going to get this right. Because it's like, well, they want us to fall really badly. But it will take time. It will take time. I mean, I would love us to get Champions League football this season. I would love us to. But I think we have to be realistic that this is, we need to set a foundation after how bad last year was. Right now, I mean, after 13 matches played, if I remember correctly, we're actually not, better than we were last season. So it's about how quickly can we steady the ship and then hopefully go on a little run for the back end of the year or the back end of the season that puts us in a good place. So um, it's going to take time. It's going to take time. I think it is culturally a big a big shift for Chelsea fans because, and I think the point you, you made about almost culturally the way Chelsea fans have been conditioned to kind of see the the manager as as irrelevant in the process is is something that it almost feels like what we've seen over the last almost two years now it's almost like a gag reflex of Chelsea fans is well we have to sack the head coach we have to do this really quickly we have to react to the next two weeks or everything's going to implode and that's I mean I, I do think it's interesting looking back to last season with Graham Potter whatever you think about him and where we are now I I really like Pochettino but did the ownership think and get scared by the reaction and that's why they made the change rather than they kind of thought this is only going in one direction I think that's an interesting there's so much to unpack with, with all of it really in terms of where Chelsea are going but I personally feel with this ownership and it's not to say that Poch can lose like 20 games in a row and everything's going to be here and accepted. That's not, that's never, I think there's a lot of straw man 
arguments that I see where it's like you just you're okay with us losing. Now, it's, of course I'm not. It ruins my weekends when Chelsea get battered. Like I don't Facts. nothing. No, no part of 2023 other than a few very few exceptions have been enjoyable but that's the biggest hurdle like I think to get through this period is without kind of just going back in the same cycle and staying in the kind of washing machine of short term short termism is going to be a massive challenge isn't it that that's exactly it I think it's um I think I always have this conversation where football fans are fanatics, right? They're so obsessed with football. And because for some people it's like a religion, it means so much. When anything that's said that sort of kind of questions your beliefs, it's a hard-hitting thing. We're talking about a club that won everything and continue to win everything and dominate for so long. So when you start having this thought where you sort of say, well, we may not win this year, already that kind of questions people's beliefs. Like, what do you mean we're not winning this year? What do you mean we're going to lose five games? What do you mean we're not going to win the game against the top four? And it's a very difficult thing to accept. And ultimately, I'm 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 one of those people where I'm of that mindset where you go into every game wanting to win every game, 100%. That's how I am. That's how I'm born and raised, whether I'm playing football, whether I'm playing with FIFA or whatever, just call it Chelsea. But there's a realisation that football is definitely a process and there's a lot of teams in the league in terms of their process, whether they have the same quality as us or not, are in a very different place to us. And the balls are rolling. Whereas we're sort of, you know, trying to get things into place. Um, this, se- this season started off with a lot of injuries, um, a lot of young players. And one thing I always say about young players is, naturally, their form is just going to peak and trough naturally. Part of being a young player is finding sort of a level and then getting consistency. And that's when you start going to your peak. When you're in your peak, you know what your level is. Um, therefore, relying on a lot of youngsters is a very risky strategy. And it also puts pressure on the more experienced pros in the team. So, for instance, someone that I've got a lot of time for that is under constant pressure is Raheem Sterling. Because in many people's minds, it's like you came from the champions, you're a proven winner, you've scored goals in the league, do it now. It's like, well, yeah, I'm sure he wants to and I'm sure he will. But the situation is not the same situation that he was in before. It takes time to climatize, get used to and get going again. So um, we will come good, in my opinion. I think it's just about and I, I, I do trust Poch's approach. I feel like there's certain things that he has to adapt to, which he will, I think, over time. Um, but. The nature of having a young team is you're going to have moments when you're high, you're going to have moments where you're low. It's just that that is football. Football's never changed as a game. That's that's always going to be a fundamental part of it. It's kind of like, I mean, it is an intangible thing, but well, I think it is intangible, but it's not intangible really, because I think the numbers and the data kind of back it up so far this season. Like I know people look at the table currently and they especially look at the way Chelsea collapsed at Newcastle and they go, what's changed? And I know you brought it up in terms of you look at compare points to last season. But I, just, I can't I can't honestly say, with the exception of Saturday's performance against Newcastle, that we're anywhere close to as bad as we were last season. Like I just there's not it's not even comparable. Like last season was dreadful. Like it was joyless. I, you know, I, it was just it was not it was not a nice experience. And it wasn't there were very few times I watched Chelsea. I think Dortmund at home was the only time where I felt kind of a sense of pride watching Chelsea and it was anything close. And it's not just, as we've been saying, it's not just about you have to win every single game. It's just just like a basic level of just 
joy in watching your football team play like what are they trying to do i i think there has been clear improvement but to i i do think you know look at what arsenal have gone through in recent years like with with arteta they they went through it's very easy to forget now they went through some absolutely tragic moments with arteta where i have to say majority of clubs would have pulled the trigger like I, I fully believe that Chelsea would have turning point was beating us where Saka scored the goal where it was sort of the miss hit cross that was their turning point that was they were at the lowest of lows before that they got that win and nothing looks back for them and you know I think a lot of people you're always looking for what the turning point is the Spurs result everyone was like oh my gosh okay we feel something the City result, everyone was like, oh my gosh, we scored four goals against City. It's not been a 1-0 loss for the first time in how many years? There's something coming. And so then to have the Newcastle, it's like every time you have momentum, it's the wins knocked out of yourselves. But I think what is super important is what you said is right. We are not performing as bad as we did last year. I think what last year did show is even though we were performing bad and we probably had more points at this point, was the sort of the balls moving in sense of you know what to do to get a result. We've got a much younger team now. It's a very, very, very different thing. I always look at sort of a team like Manchester United where on paper right now, the time we're speaking, they are the informed team in the country. They are woeful. They are a very, very bad football inside. Tragic bad football inside. But they're just in a place where because there's experience in the team and there's know-how and there's these little things here and there, they're just able to sort of tick boxes and it's like, you know what, on paper, it doesn't look that bad. It might be hell in the changing room, but we can sort of move forward and build from something. We're kind of going from building from the performances. And I guess the question is for everyone is, how long can the performances not turn into results before you start making, you know, decisions? But I think I think we'll be OK. I think we'll be OK. I think the festive period is always tricky. Um, injuries can always be testing. But if you can sort of pick up a bit of steam and go into New Year in a good place, I mean, I saw it last year with Villa. Villa came, were behind us and ended up in European places because Emery came in, he knew what he wanted to do, they kept going. There's no reason to say that Chelsea can't have one of those moments. Mm. I was saying this in a show recently because I know the uh, people were bringing up what Eddie Howe's done with Newcastle and kind of the, yeah. the differences in success. But, you know, Eddie Howe's been the coach at Newcastle since November of 2021. So two years now. In that time, yeah. think about all the people who've been in the dugout at Chelsea. Like the to, to even consider that Chelsea could have a coach for that period of time feels a little bit farcical, given how we had three last year. I'm not. I'm not counting Bruno. He, I I feel sorry for the bloke. He did he, the game, but you're not, mate. You're not counting. Like it was a cameo. Yeah. It wasn't. You know, he wasn't. He wasn't a, a main character. So I can't really give it to him. But yeah, I, I would. I just hope because I, I really do think with Pochettino and what I've seen so far and some of the talents and in Kunku, I think before final question, it's just, you know, in Kunku coming back, I feel like people have kind of forgotten the influence and significance of that player potentially on Chelsea. It's it's like I think it's been quite convenient to leave in Kunku signing out to kind of make the point that Chelsea didn't sign anyone good in the summer. Like we we had a goal scorer. And then he got injured. The Nkunku one for me is so interesting because ultimately Nkunku is sort of the outlier in all of this. He is the one that was signed way before and he's outside of this supposed over 25. He is the quote-unquote experienced player that's coming in. 
And um, obviously in pre-season, you saw what he brought to the team. Um, I often talk about Chelsea being a team of stories. And the stories are that I feel like Raheem Sterling came to Chelsea to make it his team and have his moment and not be in the shadows. I feel like Nkunku had the same thing as well, you know, leaving Leipzig. I want to prove myself in the Premier League. He's going to get that opportunity now. I guess what the injury's done, though, is put so much pressure. It's almost like we need you to be the hero. And I guess it's just about managing the expectation of that because the body can burn out very quickly, number one. And number two, him coming in doesn't mean that everything should be on him. Him coming in means that things should collectively, hopefully in those areas, be a lot better. I mean, Cole Palmer's a player that when we were linked with, I said, get him in the door. He has great footballing fundamentals. He's very versatile and he can be coached through certain things. And he's shown that we have players that are optimising in different ways as well. I guess what's tricky or interesting with the Nkunku um, addition is it then means that we probably have a few weeks of altering a way to play with him. How long does it take to acclimatise to that? Can we get results in that period? And then what does that mean for whoever has to drop out as well is where it gets interesting. But again, this is a professional environment. I'm sure they know what's coming. Um, I did a shoot recently with a few of the players um, and like, yeah, all I kept hearing was, yeah, Crystal, 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 Crystal. Like he, he seems to have this sort of aura on the training ground. So it's going to be really, really good to see him. And for him personally, I really hope that this is a great move for him as well. Because I think a lot of people realise that this, the, the season that he had is not even the season that he got bought off. It was prior to that. So he put up those numbers, then, OK, I'm not going to come and deliver again. And it got robbed of him in the last minute. But it'll be interesting to see how he acclimatises and how he delivers. Yeah, and I think Poch said as much that like he basically had to scrap his attacking plans after that injury. And it's just, I'd like to think that there's something inbuilt there that can... And, and good players, I feel like if you're a really, really good player, it doesn't take you long to impact the team. And Cole Palmer, as you mentioned, probably proves that enough. I mean, this is a guy who barely played, I mean, in terms of Premier League minutes, not a lot, but he comes into Chelsea and instantly becomes one of our most important players. Like I, I think that my hope is Nkunku will do the same. Final question is probably the, the, the most challenging one. Your your favourite Chelsea memory? I don't know if it's a challenging one. I mean, winning the Champions League, like, you just can't... I remember crying tears when John Terry missed. I remember how much that broke me. I remember, like, that was a school night as well, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I remember. I remember that being a school night. Oh. Yeah. That absolutely broke me. So to then have this moment where you're going to Germany and it's all against you and the build-up of all of it as well and that, that whole season and to then be crowned by winning the Champions League, there's, that's got to be my favourite moment. And Didier Drogba as well, like to see him have that moment, I think in a way it was so poetic because... I think now it's often forgotten about. People don't remember how difficult it was for Drogba initially when he joined. It wasn't always smooth sailing. And that's not just external fans, Chelsea fans as well. It didn't get off to the best start. So for him to turn it all around, become a legend and have that moment, that that game summarised like Chelsea's Chelsea career. Um, so yeah, that's got to be my favourite moment, honestly. Yeah, that's the, the interesting thing. I can't remember, I feel like I've had this discussion with with people on the show before about Drogba and just in general that it took when you actually look back at his career 
it took him about three years to become the drug bar that we all kind of remember now. Like we all think about when we say drug bar, we think about the big goals. We think about this incredible force of nature on the pitch. But actually you look at, as you mentioned, I think he scored like 15 goals, which to be fair in current Chelsea is a good Premier League goal scoring record. But given the harsh nature of kind of discourse nowadays, like to think that it basically took him quite a few seasons to to click and become that kind of leading figure it just it, it kind of proves to you how I guess different times are now because we we give like players two weeks to to acclimatize to Chelsea and then we're making a firm judgment on them so yeah it's it, it that that narrative with Didier and the fact that he got sent off in Moscow as well I mean it just all of it all of it was just I I cried at the the 2021 of course but like the Munich I think it's still very very challenging to beat the the whole kind of the almost the cinematic nature of of Munich it's just very challenging yeah it was just again yeah you literally if you if you to write a movie script and you wrote that people would be like this is a bit traumatic ain't it it's like no it actually that actually happened that it happened that that like we got the penalty like it that everything happened <laughs> We got he scored the head off. Like this all happened. It's not a fib. So um yeah, that's got to be the favorite one for sure. Is it is it the same? Because I I still watch that game back. It's the only Chelsea game in history I watch back still nervous. I can watch any of the other big ones, even the twenty twenty one win, and not be yeah. that nervous. It's the only game I still get nervous. What I think that Ashley Cole, the penalty is going to be saved or the. The uh, Schweinsteiger one, it's going to hit the back of Czech's leg and go yeah. in. Like it's still, oh man, that that's that's still there's still parts of that game that just still get roller coaster weirdly. of emotions. Yeah, roller coaster of emotions for sure. Thank you so much, Amaya, um, for joining me today. Uh, an amazing conversation. Thank you so much for giving your time. Um, as I'd like to do with all my guests, just a chance for you to shout out all of the work you do, um, not only Chelsea specific but others as well. So uh, yeah, give you a chance now to shout that out. No, I appreciate you having me on. Um, you can catch me on socials. My socials are my name. Um, Versus is the platform I work for, so we're trying to push football forward. I'm having great conversations there, so check out Versus. Um, my podcast is the FCM podcast, which is on DR Sports. So check that out as well. We go live every single week, recapping the week in football. Um, I do Writer's House with Ian Wright as well, which is great fun. Um, he tries to rip into Chelsea a lot, so I rip into Arsenal. So check out that as well. Um, and just, yeah, in general, man, um, big up to you for you know, growing this amazing platform. And um, yeah, appreciate you having me on. No worries. All of the links to that will be in the description box below and in the podcast notes as well. Thank you so much for tuning in, for watching. You can follow me across socials at Son of Chelsea, and I will see you again very soon. All the best. Sports Social Podcast Network.